you're listening to the Black Side Fun. And welcome to the show. The tape is in, so let us begin. I'm your host, Michael Hawes, and I'm back after a lengthy, lengthy surgery. I, um... Had oral surgery, had some jaw stuff done, um, and then about a week after I fully recovered, I contracted COVID, which was pretty brutal. Um, so yeah, that it's been qu- quite a while since an episode's been released, but um, so yeah, so I'm back, and uh, thanks for all the well wishes from everyone. It's been really nice to be back. And uh, back on my feet, um, no symptoms of COVID anymore. Um, so yeah, let's just uh, let's just pretend that um, I haven't been gone for a month. <laughs> so yeah, um, in this episode, I'm going to discuss uh, someone who's huge in the UFO community, and um, uh, I personally would love to meet this guy. Uh, the name is Bob Lazar, or Robert Lazar. He was um, an engineer who claimed to work on uh, UFOs and backward engineered them. But um, yeah, I'll get a little ahead of myself here. I'll uh, discuss the origins of him, um, the claims, and then I'll discuss uh, the, the sort of four the, belie- the, the beliefs and the Things that make him sound um, like he made it all up. Like I'll do like a pro and con type of thing. Um, I personally believe the guy because there's... Well, as I'll explain later in this episode, there's things that he's been right. Right about. Things that are impossible to be right about unless you're right. (laughs) If that makes sense. So, uh, yeah, let's uh, start off with the news. I'm going to start off the news today. Um... Yeah, it's going to be an interesting news day. <laughs> so first off, the first science quality images from James Webb to be revealed soon. So uh, James Webb is the new satellite, or it's a telescope that we put out in space. Um, it's farther than the Hubble, and of course the Hubble's like 40 years old, so the technology in the James Webb is way more advanced, so we can see farther, clearer images. Um, it's going to be exciting what we're going to be catching in the next few years. So that's uh, it's coming soon. Images, which is super exciting. Um, so yeah, that's, uh, that's something I'm waiting to see. Other news. Astronomers discover strange low-rotating neutron star. A neutron star with the anomalously slow rotational speed has been discovered in a stellar graveyard. Discovered by an international team of astronomers, the enigmatic star was spotted using the Meerkat radio telescope in South Africa. It is particularly unusual find, not only because of the slow rotational speed, but also because it is found within a neutron star graveyard from which there should be no radio signals at all. Neutron stars are extremely dense remnants of a supernova explosion and typically rotate tens of thousands of times per minute. One possibility is this newly discovered object could be a new theoretical class of ultra-long period magnator. However, further work would be needed to confirm whether whether or not this is the case. Amazingly, we only detect radio emissions from this source for 0.5% of their rotation speed. This means that it's very fortuitous that the radio beam intersected with the Earth. It is therefore likely that there are many more of these very slowly spinning sources. So that's interesting. Like, Just imagine a star that's rotating. It's a neutron star. Normally they rotate extremely fast speeds. And then this bad boy is apparently slower than the the ones we've already figured, we already found. Um, The other crazy thing in the news of that pertains to stars. Um, apparently, we found a uh, star that is so close to one of its planets in its system that 
the plasma that emits from the star laps and strikes the planet. Imagine if you're looking up and a big plasma cloud's coming after you. That's got to be terrifying. Another newsworthy thing that this is a story I've been paying attention to. A mystery signal the astronomers in Australia have discovered is a strange radio source and nobody knows what it could be. The mystery signal, which was detected during observations of a spiral galaxy known as NGC 2082, was reported by a team of astronomers headed up by Joel Balzon of Western Sydney University. It manifested as a strong point radio source and data from the Australian Square Kilometer Array Pathfinder, or ACECAP, the Australian Telescope Company Array, and the Parkes Radio Telescope. The galaxy that was being observed is situated 66 million light-years away and measures approximately 33,000 light-years across. While the nature and origin of the mysterious radio source remains unknown, it's important not to jump to conclusions. Most unexplained sources turn out to be pulsars, nebulae, quasars, or other similar objects. So there's no immediate reason to jump to an extraterrestrial interpretation. Uh, that's Let's do that. Let's jump to extraterrestrial interpretation. Imagine if there is a signal. Have you seen the movie Contact? That's a perfect example of something that would be really crazy. If all of a sudden all the uh, radio telescopes around the country and around the world starts getting these, this pulsating bum 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 bum. That would be crazy. And also just imagine that you were alive to see this. So, yeah, that's something cool to speculate. I'm totally going to speculate hard. My speculation meter is speculating. So, yeah, that's crazy how they're getting weird, strange signals. <laughs> A rare 17th century book on alien life discovered. Published in 1698. The book offers a unique look in how people from the time perceived the possibility of extraterrestrial life. Discovered by books, a book value, valuer Jim Spencer at an antique valuation event in Gloucestershire, England, the book was written by Christian Hygens and explores the possibility of the existence of extraterrestrial entities while posing the question of why God would have created other planets solely for us to look at. It's titled, The Celestial World Discovered, or Conjectures Concerning the Inhabitants. Many of the ideas and conclusions Hygens reaches in the book seem a bit strange by today's standards. However, they are consistent with the science of the time. He speculates that intelligent aliens must have hands like our own due to their convenience, and that they might also have human-like feet, unless they developed the ability to fly. <laughs> It also suggests that he bring that these beings are likely to pursue many of the same sports and interests that we do, such as astronomy, sailing, and listening to music. But they also very likely to be afflicted with poverty, war, and other misfortunes because it promotes invention and progress. The book is with which is to be sold at auction is expected to fetch up to four thousand dollars. It's fascinating to think who turned these pages in 1698 and what they must have thought and felt reading these descriptions. So that's, that's pretty intense and pretty cool that there's, even back in the 16, 1600s, people were discussing what life, you know, would be like on one of these planets that were recently discovered. Unfortunately, you know, they, what they didn't know was there's no life in, on um, the moon and stuff like that. Hmm. But maybe one day we'll get that book and uh, read and find out that, um, Maybe there is life on Mars. You never know. <sighs> hmm. So let me see. <laughs> Bizarre Bigfoot trap is still maintained after 48 years. This is weird. Nestled deep in the woods of Jackson County, Oregon, there can be found a trap which was built to capture a live Bigfoot. Situated in Rogue River, Siskiyou National Forest, around 3.0 miles from the border with California, 
The Trap, which is often hailed as the only one of its kind, was built in 1974 by the now-defunct North American Wildlife Research Team in a bid to capture the elusive hominid. Measuring 10 feet by 10 feet, the trap consists of a wooden box with a metal door capable of automatically closing should anything happen to wander inside. For its first six years, researchers baited the trap with carcasses. However, they've only caught bears so far. When it was later abandoned in the early 80s, the door was bolted open for any curious visitors from coming trapped inside. While in years that followed, the trap has started falling into disrepair. In 2006, the U.S. Forest Service began to actively repair and maintain it, thus turning into something of a visitor's attraction. Even to this day, it remains a popular destination for hikers in the Coiling Collings Mountain Hiking Trail. No one's uh, yet to find a Bigfoot in this trap. So these guys built this trap in the, the mid-70s. It's pretty interesting, though, it's because... Um, they were intending to trap a Bigfoot. So if, if, let's say they caught a Bigfoot, you know, what, what, what would they do with it? You know, hey, everyone, we, we have a Bigfoot. Let's, uh, let's try to get this bad boy into town. You know, they're going to drag that sucker all the way. There's, what you got in the box, Carl? That's ah, a Bigfoot. Going down the road. Like, oh, uh, man. Also, I wonder if we caught anything else that was would be a technically a cryptid or a hominid or anything in that wheelhouse. That'd be really fascinating to find out what what's been caught in that thing for the last few years. So, huh? That's a pretty interesting story. <clears throat> and I'll do one more, mm, one more story, and I'll do a. Oh, this is actually fascinating. Queens, the band Queen, famous for songs as We Will Rock You and Bohemian Rhapsody. Queens' Brian May, who's the guitar player and one of their songwriters, photographed a crop circle. The legendary rock guitarist, who has a PhD in astrophysics, recently spotted something odd in a field in the United Kingdom. These days, crop circles tend to be regarded more as works of art than evidence of alien visitors. However, the phenomenon still manages to generate interest whenever a new design shows up. Most recently, Queen guitarist and astrophysicist Brian May sparked some debate on Instagram after he managed to capture a photograph of an intriguing formation on a field near Marlborough, England. The pattern is quite intricate, sporting an octagonal outer frame and a saw-blade-shaped interior. Hmm. And I've seen see the pictures right here, and wow, they're uh, absolutely phenomenal. Definitely, uh, if someone made this by hand, like wow, what an artist! Like it's fantastic. And in fact, this Brian May of, of anyone finding it, it's pretty interesting too. So I'm gonna take a quick break before I jump into the main story. I'll be right back after these messages. Bum bum. And I'm back. And for this next part is um, someone who I remember watching a special back in the uh, 90s. And um, one of the things that sparked my interest in the paranormal, you know, those 90 shows like completely shocking with the guy who plays Commander Riker on Star Trek. Those type of shows like Alien Autopsy next on Fox. It's like, ooh, what's this alien autopsy thing? And they discuss it, and and it's Commander Riker from Star Trek, and that deep baritone voice just being like, could there have been really a alien autopsy under uh, our government's noses? Or was it just a hoax? You know, I, I love to love that guy. I really w hope that guy does more voice work. <laughs> One day I hope to be work with him on a film project or something. That would be absolutely amazing. Um, so, I remember I was, a, uh, I, I forgot what age I was, I think it was 10, I think it was 97, and we were watching the X-Files on Fox, um, and then they had a special at the end of the show, and it was, uh, about Bob Lazar and Area 51, 
And as a young kid, um, I absolutely love Area 51, anything to do with it. Um, at the time, I didn't know anything about it, but from that moment on, I love Area 51 and all the intricacies of it. But um, I remember watching this special, and they talked about this wild, nerdy-looking guy named Bob freaking Lazar. Not his middle name, by the way. Um, and about these claims that he was making that he worked on, not in, uh, I don't believe it was Area 51, but one of those sites, S7 sites. And he claimed that the U.S. government was back engineering UFOs, alien craft, with technology that we have never seen before. And watching this as a kid sparked my interest in ufology. And, and I know a lot of people laugh and you know, they don't believe in UFOs, which is their opinion. It's their right to have, you know. But one of the things I like to tell people is anything you cannot identify in the sky and it's flying is considered an unidentified flying object. Now, it can be up to debate if it's a alien craft, an artificially driven craft, or it could be a balloon that we just don't know what it is from the distance it's at. My thing is, the reason I believe that there's UFOs, that these are alien-crafted, artificial intelligence pushing these vehicles, is because I believe Bob Lazar. And I know a lot of people are going to immediately poo-poo me for that. Um, they're immediately like, you have no uh, credit anymore. They're going to discredit me, call me crazy and stuff. But there is one thing, and I'll get to this one thing, that when I heard about this as a kid, it always stuck with me. And then now, we've proved that that is correct. That this one thing, this one freaking thing, to me, was the smoking gun and why I believe Bob Lazar. So, before I get ahead of myself, let me sort of introduce you to Bob Lazar. Um, and this guy, find a picture of him, he is a nerd. So, in January 26, 1959... Robert Scott Lazar, born in Coral Gables, Florida. The location of Coral Gables is given in Good's book. Good is Good is a author who wrote a book um, about this whole Robert Lazar uh, situation, I guess you would call it. Um, in 1974, uh, social security number and and an address. Uh, was issued in public records um, of Bob Lazar. Apparently, back in the early days, people um, sometimes didn't get their Social Security card until a couple of years after they were born. Um, so Bob Lazar was, uh, he attended high school in Coral Gables also. Um, yeah, he, Bob Lazar, Bob Lazar graduated from high school late and was in the bottom third of his class. Um, he only took chemistry as a science, one of his science courses. He attended at Pierce Junior College in Los Angeles. Um, he apparently went to, uh, uh another university. Um, and hold on a second, let me. Clear something up for you here. He went to a community college, and um, it was a Pierce Community College, which is in Los Angeles. But he claims that he went to Caltech also. So Bob Lazar claimed that he went to Caltech and MIT. And this is where some of the strangeness starts in his tales. 
one of the things that Bob Lazar says when he came out about what project he was working on, he claimed that he went to MIT. And then he also did some little bit of Caltech. The strange thing is, MIT claims that they've never, he never attended. But, one of the other crazy, strange things that, that, uh, was, I believe was a cover-up, was apparently he was in, um, there was a couple pictures of him on the MIT campus. Also, he was in some registration, his name came up in a registration for the dormitory at MIT. Also, he, his uh, name came up in the, the library at the main MIT campus, which is one in the Dewey Decimal System. Um, and apparently in the records that uh, he's checked out a couple books as a student at MIT, but MIT themselves claim they, they, they have no recollection of him ever attending. And the same thing happened at Caltech, where there was some evidence that was found that he was in classes at Caltech uh, based from... Um, it's a closed caption security footage uh, found him to be on campus, and some of the um, bookkeeping found that yes, he was on campus and he did things a student would, but Caltech claims that he did not attend any of the classes as a student, which draws red flags that maybe they try to cover up, you know, uh, basically say he doesn't exist. Um, which is very strange. In 1982, Bob Lazar worked as a technician for a contractor company that provided support staff to the Los Alamos Mason Physics Facility within the Los Alamos National Laboratory. Uh, Los Alamos National Laboratory is a United States Department of Energy National Laboratory initially, initially organized during World War II for the design of nuclear weapons as part of the Manhattan Project. It's a short distance northwest of Santa Fe, New Mexico in the southwestern United States. Los Alamos was selected to be a top secret location for bomb design in the late 1940s and officially commissioned the next year under the management of the University of California. Other labs today is known as Oak Ridge National Laboratory and the Hanford site, concentrated population of uranium plutonium bomb fuels. Las Alamos was the heart of this project, collecting together some of the world's most famous scientists, among them the num numerous Nobel Prize winners. The site was known variously as Project Y. Los Alamos Laboratory and Los Alamos Scientific Laboratory um, were the renaissance of the nuclear age. Um, so him being a basically a tech for the Los Alamos base or uh, laboratory, sorry, um, is pretty pretty amazing because they don't put just any physicists and technicians in Los Alamos, especially someone who is who uh, they accuse of only going to community college. Um, yeah, so imagine if <laughs> these community college kids are all of a sudden getting jobs working on some of the most technologically advanced laboratories in the U.S. And also especially a, uh, um, a hired uh, technician, like outside technician, what they call a Merck. Like, that is some... That, that 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 is a red flag for me, Clinton, to, for me to believe Bob Lazar because, like like I've heard people say, uh, they don't just hire technicians to Los Alamos out of high school. He had to have college somewhere, and I don't believe that a p small community college would have that much pull to get a guy to uh, in Los Alamos. Um. Yeah, so Bob Lazar claimed that the MIT, and then he also went to California Institute of Technology, and both, as I stated before, like they were, there was evidence of him being there as a student, even though both colleges claimed that he never attended. But there was evidence found. Um, there were pictures of him on campus. Uh, There's some bookkeeping stuff about um, one of the classes he was taking. He has rent, rented out and purchased books from the student library. Um, student bookstore too. Um, 
The fact is he was on the dorm registration forms, Robert Lazar. So this is stuff where already a red flag for me anyway that I personally believe he might be telling the truth in all this because the, for someone to claim that there's this expert phys, physical technician, this engineering genius, had to have some important schooling. Had to. Because you don't get these jobs out of high school or going to community college. So that's a one red flag where I feel like there is some sort of truth merit to his claims. Um, scientists Stanton Friedman and Donald Prothero have said nobody with Lazar's high school performance record would be accepted at MIT or Caltech. That is one of the red flags, though, that say he might not have been accepted. You know, he didn't have the best high school grades. But again, those situations where they have found evidence of him being there. So that one is pretty, ooh. <laughs> you could, you know, like both sides have valid, valid arguments. And that's why it's like, you know, who do you, what goes on here? Lazar claims that his role at the Los Alamos Mason physics facility was that of a physicist. This assertion was echoed by a local journalist who interviewed Lazar about his interests in jet-powered cars in 1982. Now, given this is before he claimed working on extraterrestrial vehicles. So in 1982, it was confirmed that, yes, this guy is a physicist. He was being interviewed about jet-powered... Jet uh, um, cars, and there's, and that's the other thing. There's thousands of. It's been proven that he made a jet car. Again, making jets out of high school, or not out of high school, but someone who claims he went to college for physicists for in, phys, physics engineering. You. You have to, and this is in the 80s, you can't just YouTube how to make a jet engine. So this guy had to have some college. And I don't believe that a community college could teach you to make a jet engine. That, to me, is a big red flag. So again, another column into that, I believe him, is because he, and it's documented, he made a jet engine. And he used to make small little jets for when he would ride his bike. you turn the jet on and it would push him. So, um, that is a big, big other knock that I built one of the reasons to believe this guy. Numerous mainstream news outlets report that this could be, a, a the physicist could be a self-proclaimed physicist. And again, this is the 80s, you can't just Google how to make a rocket ship. <laughs> so he had to have some college, some, some education in it. The, in, 19, in 1983, he claimed to be working for Los Alamos. At one point, Los Alamos denied that he had worked for them. To just change their mind one year later in 1984, claiming that he was just a technician for a contractor firm. So that's that's another thing that really brings up a, a red flag too is to say oh he's never set foot in Los Alamos and then come around and go oh well yes technically he did but he was just a contractor and just for uh, engineering so yeah, he had a, he was a small chip on the on the, on the scale um, so that's that's where it's kind of weird. So in 1989, so this is where the good, the good meat comes. In 1989, Bob Lazar achieved public notoriety as an Area 51 conspiracy theorist. In May of that year, he appeared in an interview with an investigative reporter, George Knapp, on Las Vegas TV station KLAS under the pseudonym Dennis. So you can actually watch this clip on YouTube. He's got the, you know, they had their person's voice altered, and it's this dark, 
room with you can't see his face, and they were claiming his name was Dennis. He said he claims that he was an employee at S4, which is a subsidiary facility he claimed exists near the Nellis Air Force Base, in a, also known as Area 51. Uh, one of the, the things is the Roswell, which I'll get into in a uh, later episode. Um, apparently, that's where the uh, aliens were taken after their crash in Roswell, New Mexico. So with that, have that in mind. Have that in mind when you think of S, uh, the S4 area. Uh, basically, Area 51 where the aliens were. Um he claims that the said facility was adjacent to Papoose Lake, which is located south of the main Area 51 facility at Groom Lake. He claimed the site consisted of concealed aircraft hangars built into the mountainside. Bob Lazar said that his job was to help with the reverse engineering of one of nine flying saucers or alien ships, which he alleged were extraterrestrial in origin. He claims one of the flying saucers, the one he coined the sport model, was manufactured out of metallic substance similar in appearance and touch of liquid titanium. In an interview that in, in that November, Bob Lazar appeared unmasked and under his own name, where he claimed that his job interview for work at the facility was contractor EG&G, and his employer was United States Navy. EG&G said it had no records of him being on the team. His supposed employment at Nellis Air Force Base has also been discredited by skeptics, as well as by the United States Air Force. But to that, again, EG&G also claimed that, they, that he was never a part of um, Los Alamos. They claimed that they had people in Los Alamos and they never saw him, which Los Alamos, after first claiming that he was never an employee there, turned around and said, oh yes, he was an employee, just not that way. What I want to do is I want to jump back to 1982, um, the MIT thing, because that is something that's a real big first red flag of something is going on with this whole situation, because there's been claims that the United States states have been trying to discredit him and he says he went to MIT in the early 80s um, and that's why I believe him is because MIT said he's never been here there's no evidence but then they found evidence so if he was on campus and he was on a register for the dormitory why claim he was never on campus and so that is one of the things that really sparks my interest also another thing too as a man named Dr. Edward Teller he gave a lecture at Los Alamos and Robert Lazar claims to have met him prior, um, met him at this lecture. Dr. Edward Teller claims that he spoke to him, uh, Robert Lazar um, at length, and uh, they talked about nuclear the, the freeze movement, the nuclear freeze movement in the country, um, where they basically were trying to stop any nuclear power plants. From, or, it was a big nuclear scare in the early eighties. So, again, another flag where Los Alamos, this is right before they claimed, oh, he was never here, he was never here, and there's been evidence that he was there. And then they come around and go, oh, no, no, he was here, and it's just like, then why'd you try to deny this guy? So it's a little sketch. So I'm going to jump back. Um... to uh, 1989 because uh, George Knapp who I love George Knapp um, he was I believe he was a host for Coast to Coast for quite a while uh, Coast to Coast AM radio for anyone who doesn't know what it is it's kind of like the paranormal spooky conspiracy theory UFO 
uh, popular radio show that comes out of um, the Nevada area. Um, so, um, hold on. I'm, I'm looking at my notes. <laughs> so, all right. So, Lazar has claimed that he was working for EG&G. EG&G says they've never heard of him. Uh, the United States Navy says he was never on record, which again, they also claimed a lot of these technicians were not on record. Bob Lazar has claimed that the propulsion of the studied vehicle ran on an antimatter reactor and was fueled by the chemical element with atomic number 1115, or unobtainium. Remember that, folks. Remember that name, unobtainium element, or atomic, yeah, element 115. And it, it was, uh, at that time, provisionally named unobtainium. It was not artificially made. So this material, he claimed, was um, powering these vehicles um, has yet to been discovered. It's theoretically, it was like on paper, hey, there's this element, 115, but we've never seen it. We've never created it. It's impossible to create. So it's basically a fairy tale. He said the propulsion system relied on a stable isotope of uh, element 115, which allegedly generates a gravity wave that allowed the vehicle to fly and to evade visual detection by bending light around it. Which, as 2019, we have found ways to actually pull this off to bend light waves around um, uh, an object to administer uh, basically a stealth um, shield. And I've actually seen clips of this and it's very, very interesting because imagine something you would see from a video game like The Predator or from a movie like The Predator. And now imagine if that actually could be achieved and they have actually achieved that it's really difficult to pull it off but they, they've done it so this guy claims that this is possible in the year the in night the late 80s and he's claimed he's seen it so already like wow like holy crap that's cool <laughs> like that's a cool concept but you know could he could he back it up? Back the claims up? You know, we don't. You know, at, we'll get to that a little bit later in the show. Okay. So no stable isotopes of muscovium have been yet synthesized, which is also the name for element one one five. All have proven extremely radioactive, decaying in a few hundred milliseconds. Lazar said the craft was dismantled and the reactor he studied was topped by a sphere or semi-sphere, which emitted a force field capable of repulsing human flesh. He explained that the craft was split into two main levels. The reactor was positioned at the center of the upper level with an antenna extending to the top, surrounded by three gravity amplifiers. These connected to a gravity emitter on the lower level, which can rotate 180 degrees to output a gravity beam or anti-gravity wave, and that the craft would then travel belly first into the distortion field. Lazarus claimed that during his joining the program, he read briefing documents describing the historical involvement of Earth for the past 10,000 years, with extraterrestrial beings described as gray aliens from a planet orbiting the twin binary star system Zeta Reticuli. As of September 2019, no extraterrestrial planets have been found in the Zeta Reticuli system. In 1989, Lazarus said that the seats of the saucer he saw were approximately child-sized, and that he's seen alien cadavers um, with a co corresponding size. He said that while walking down a hallway at S4, he briefly, briefly glanced through a door window and saw what he interpreted as two men in lab coats facing down and talking to something small with long arms. Three decades later, he said he did not think he saw an alien, but speculated he saw a doll used as a reference of the size of the alleged aliens, and that the nickname is used for them was the kids. Lazar alleges that his employment and education records have been erased. However, skeptics 
find this to be implausible. His story has been drawn significant media attention, controversy, and supporters and detractors. Unfortunately, Lazar has no physical evidence of the technology or the alien creatures to back up his claims. Um, so, one of the things I wanted to bring up about Bob Lazar is that some of the claims that he made, which were one of them was um, he claimed that there is this hand reader device that could read the density of your bones, and that's how they basically um, identified you going into each room. I guess everyone has their, like their fingerprints and a special bone density. So he claims that um, this device existed, which, of course... Everyone claimed that that's impossible, that device wouldn't make sense, it's not plausible, it couldn't be done. In 2019, there was a picture of the said device, and then apparently that the device, which looks like a, a palm reader with little dashes on it, was actually made. And it actually did everything Bob Lazar claimed did um, when he made the claims that he, uh, or that he claimed that this technology existed. So, one, he was absolutely right that this technology existed. So he was right. He was 100% right on this, on something that, and the U.S. government even said that, like, yes, we had this technology. We were uh, basically using it in our labs. Someone who has been claimed to be a bullshitter, like Bob Lazar, well, apparently he knew. He knew about this top-secret hand device that the U.S. government had tech the technology of for many, many years. Because 1989... It's a, that's a little over, that's like 31, 30, 32 years, 32 years ago? 32 years ago, at, this, at least 32 years ago. That's when he came out and claimed about all these accus, uh, accusations. But just think about this, that he says, hey, this technology exists. And people are like, that can't, that, there's no technology under the sun that can do that. And in 30 years, they proved that, yes, this technology exists. So, he was right. He was absolutely bona fide right about that. That, to me, is a big flag of red where I'm going, wait. So, he was right about this. Like, holy crap. Like, what? Why, why aren't we screaming, like, screaming about this? Because... This should be something that we, as a society, be like, hey, you got any more of this cool technology? So let me jump into Element 115. So back in the day, they tried to claim that this element was impossible to make. Oh, Bob Lazar is just making shit up. This element's impossible. It can never be made. lolly dolly loo Back in 2010, they eventually managed to create this element 115. So this guy says he physically worked with element 115, that he's seen it, and claims that it's possible to make when scientists for years says it's impossible to make. So you're absolutely BSing this whole situation. But then come to find out that, oh, it's not impossible to make. And we make it now. Artificially. And they do it in the way that Bob Lazar claimed that this is how they do it. This is how they do it. 
So that, to me, also should be a red flag for anyone who doesn't believe Bob Lazar or don't don't uh, believe in anything he says. He might not be telling the truth about some things to hide some facts. Maybe. I don't know. But the fact is, he was right about the hand scanner. He was right about Element 115. And then another thing that was crazy was his claim of how this antimatter device works, which people said, oh, that's that's not how that works. You know, they wouldn't do, if, if they had this technology, they wouldn't do it like this. Back in 2000, I believe it was 8, they figured out, oh, if we're doing anti antimatter, antimatter, antimatter gravitational uh, force, this is exactly how we would have done it. So this guy was either a certified genius who made up a, the, a huge hoax, or he's incredibly intelligent and worked and is just telling the truth about all of this stuff. That, that to me is very, very interesting because he's either the smartest, one of the smartest human beings to ever grace our country. He is Albert Einstein quality intelligence. Or he's a pretty intelligent guy who happened to work on some of the most dark black projects in the history of the United States. So pick one. <laughs> it's either he he's smarter than everyone else in this country or he actually seen these project, projects being done. So what what do we do on that? That is that is what that's what's crazy. Lazar, longtime friend Gene Huff, ran the Desert Blast Festival, an annual festival in the Nevada desert for pyrotechnics enthusiasts. Because Bob Lazar loves pyrotechnics. It started in 1987, but it was only formally named in 1991. Bob Lazar was featured in. Um, and producer George Knapp and Jeremy Kenyon's Lockyer Corbell's documentary, Bob Lazar, Area 51, and Flying Saucers. So, like, some of these, he's not, like, making major money from this either. So, like, yes, he's making some money, but he basically threw away any particular career he would have in as a physicist to come out with this story. That's another reason why I believe him, because he didn't just say, hey, uh, this, this thing happened. We're doing this particular thing in the U.S. government to bank on it, because he didn't really bank on it. He was in one documentary. He probably makes 30 or 40 grand a year doing um, talk shows and books and stuff, so he's not millionaire making tons of money because no one wants to hire this guy you know, as a physicist. So that's another reason why, because it's like, what did he gain? What was his gain from this? That, you know, we're talking about him today on a podcast? But he doesn't see any of that money. Um, is he making millions of dollars as a producer in Hollywood? Saying like, hey, we we're, he's like, I'm one of the biggest UFOologist guys around, yeah. Make I'll, I'll be a, a producer giving you advice and te technical advice. No, like he's legit not making any money, and he ruined his career. So that to me also is a red flag of what this guy might be telling the truth because he's gained hardly anything from it. So there is a caveat. In his life story, there is something that also I believe he's telling the truth because this could have, him telling the truth in this situation I'm about to tell you would have just saved him a lot of grief. So in 1990, Bob Lazar was arrested for aiding and abetting a prostitution ring. This was reduced to a felony pandering, which he pleaded guilty. He was ordered to do 150 hours of community service and stay away from brothels and undergo psychotherapy. 
one of the issues was he as a he since he claimed he went to these colleges um they kept asking for like his background information what's your background which college do you, you know he kept claiming that he went to these colleges and um that he is who he is he wasn't running on some alias so if if he would have came out and let's say admitted that hey I'm not really a Bob Lazar or I didn't go to these colleges he could have saved him a headache a hassle because they wanted to charge him you know they wanted to throw him in prison and they thought he was giving them false information and that's considered perjury so he almost perjured himself in a situation that he could have Avoided, and he did. Luckily, they didn't. Decide, they decided not to pursue the perjury charge. But the fact is, he wouldn't bow down, back down from his claims of who he was and where he went to school. Which I feel like, if someone was like, "Hey, if I was going around saying, hey, I'm a podcast host," and someone or like i have the number one podcast in the country and someone was like can you back that up or you go to prison i would totally be like oh can't back it up have a good day <laughs> i would go i don't want to go to prison but someone who was like nope that's this is me this is where i went to college you know it's like well uh it's colleges say that you didn't attend that's perjury um who are you really and he's like nope this is me this is where i attended i'm telling you the truth he stuck to his guns even though he was being threatened with prison time. And as I, as a human being, I feel like someone would be like, the jig is up. You got me. This is all a lie. I'm just some guy named Carl who's just a big UFO fan who seeks attention. Also, during his psycholo psychological evaluation, they claimed that he was, he, uh, he was telling the truth. And not the fact that it is the truth, it's the fact is he believed he was telling the truth. And they said that he had passed lie detector tests. He, and during the psyche eval, they're like, what he's claiming is fact in his mind. So he's not making it up. He truly believes these, these, um, these claims. So he's, again, either a, certified genius or a certified wacko like i don't i don't know how anyone can sit there and say like this guy was wrong when he was right more often than not so but again also why a prostitution ring that's so weird i'm gonna take a quick break i'll be right so i'm back and uh what i'm going to do is in the show right here um, part two will be next week. So check out part two of the Bob Lazar story. Uh, thanks for listening and keep your eyes in the sky.